Admit it, you thought we were gone, but we're back just in time for the weekend. ARN Podcast Numero 7 coming your way now. Hello again, everyone. It's good to be back. We we hadn't actually planned a two-week uh, break. We kind of ran into some, we'll call them production delays, but here we are. Uh, fingers crossed we'll be back uh, next week with another new episode. We've got two great guests this week, uh, but uh, full disclosure, uh, both of those interviews were actually done just before the opening weekend of the America's Rugby Championship. So, you know, I could have edited them, them so you wouldn't be able to tell, but we believe in transparency around here. So so my apologies to both of them for the delay. Uh, thankfully, all of the content of those discussions is still very relevant. Uh, only one or two questions actually had anything to do with the events at the time. So don't worry, we won't be forecasting games that have already happened. It's all essentially new information. Of course, we are now through two rounds of the ARC. This past weekend's results in particular have thrown the competition for a bit of a loop, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, that in more detail a little later. But I did want to get uh, this clip in, courtesy of Rugby Canada. This is Kingsley Jones talking about his team's performance in Brazil. I was disappointed changing room. Uh, Very disappointed for a number of reasons. Uh, The performance wasn't what we'd expect, but the biggest disappointment was uh, the mental challenge. We expected a tough game. You know, we know the environment's going to be hard. The officiating, there's young guys officiating. I thought he did his job. The crowd, you've got to kill teams like Brazil off. And uh, we failed to do that. A fantastic start, of course, and 10-0 uh, up in a few minutes. And that possibly led to some complacency. I'm not sure. But the mental aspect is certainly an issue for us. Giving penalties away in our C-zone, basically kickable penalties. They've got, they, they got two things. Uh, a world-class kicker and a good scrum. And uh, we, uh, we're better every way, really, than Brazil. But we've got to congratulate Brazil because uh, mentally they did the job on us. We played 10-man rugby and uh, they got the outcome. They won the game. And uh, there's a lot of work for us to do on the mental side of things. Uh, on the road, it's tough. But there's a lot of uh, work gone on this week. Um, a lot of positive training. We felt the prep was good. Uh, it showed down the first 10 minutes, but from then on in, we just uh, panicked, forced things, um, tried to win the game from deep and just went away from script. So when I talk about mental toughness, the biggest thing I mean is staying within the game plan, not getting involved in fights, not getting involved in argy-bargy, which is, you know, fair play to Brazil. I'm not complaining about it because it's part of the game plan. We got drawn into all those things, exactly what we didn't want. And, uh, you know, look, we've... Uh, We've had a hard lesson tonight. Found out a bit about a lot of uh, guys as well. Congratulations to three new guys. Young guys getting their caps uh, this evening. Justin Blanchett, um, Will Priscillier and uh, Will Kelly. So great achievement for them. Um, And I hope that they uh, learn from a hard lesson tonight and uh, they'll be part of our future plans. So the the positive is we're getting players on the field and we're finding out about them all the time. But uh, ultimately, it's not a a good day. Uh, We'll break off now and we'll come back to face uh, Chile at home and uh, we want to see a positive reaction obviously. 
hard to argue with that. Really uh, not a great game for Canada. I'm interested to see what kind of lineups there are for the remainder of the competition. Uh, you know, remember the two toughest games, the USA and the Argentina 15, are still ahead um, a quick word for Luke Campbell, Canada's number eight. We, we don't yet have a report on the severity of his knee injury, but regardless, we certainly wish him all the best in recovery. Never nice to see players go down with what looks like a, a serious uh, problem. I had the opportunity to speak to Eagles coach Gary Gold and Captain Marcel Brachy uh, just a few days ago on a conference call, and USA Rugby has graciously allowed me to include uh, these next couple questions for you. You know, looking ahead at the World Cup from now, you've really only got the three North American uh, leg uh, matches of the ARC after this weekend uh, ahead of when you have the, the PNC and so on, the real buildup. Uh, you know, obviously I injuries will play a part, but ideally, how many spots do you think in your squad of 31 at this point are still uncertain? Um, I'd say about five or six. I'd say about five or six. I'd say pretty reasonably settled on you know, uh, tw 23 to 25 positions in the squad. I mean, you know, mostly all of those guys are here at the moment. So um, with the exception of one or two guys, like potentially a Lamborn who's injured and Bowman who's still on the horizon and a couple of other young guys who are putting their hand up at the moment at MLR, they could come into into the equation as well. But it would buy, I'd say about five or six guys. There's, there's, there's certainly still competition in, in, in key spots. And obviously, Blaine's not here at the moment now. Um, Samu's not here at the moment now. So we are missing quite a hand. We, we're missing a couple of guys who, who played regularly enough for us. Uh, Kingsley Jones has made no secret that he's targeting a win over Italy to potentially earn automatic qualification for Canada at the World Cup. You know, we're still a, a little ways out, but, uh, you know, you're in a difficult pool with three tier one sides. France kind of self-combusted on the weekend. Is is there one particular team looking at that that you think you can overturn uh, at the World Cup? I, I, I think it's dangerous to go down that route, you know, um, because I I feel if you put all your eggs in one basket and and say, for example, you do target an Argentina or a France or and it doesn't go well, you know, then what's your next prize? I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, I think we can take a very similar approach to what Japan took in the last World Cup is, you know, we, we, we are in a very, very difficult pool. We appreciate that. Our position are quality. Uh, every single one of them, including Tonga, are quality outfit. And, you know, we, we, we want to make you guys and the supporters really proud of, of, of the efforts. And I think I think all we'll really do is, you know, we're going to go there to try and win every game we can play. So um, I, I don't think we're going to target one team particularly above the other team. The draw is interesting as well because it obviously has us playing Tonga last and that's with a four-day turnaround. So, again, you know, that's maybe not necessarily a team you want to go public and say you're targeting there. So, no, I, I think it's dangerous if you start you know, putting labels on, on targeting opposition. Um, but, you, you know, we, I, I think the, the goal has got to be, because of the way the competition is set out and, and our, our lead into the competition is, is we really want to get off to a good start and, and be fiercely competitive in all the games. You know, and then, you know, that's pretty much what our focus has been since we got here. And, and you know, due to that, we've been able to get a little bit lucky and get a couple of wins. And, and, and hopefully, you know, we can continue to improve as a group between now and then. And, and give ourselves a lot more confidence to be able to go in against teams like like France. You know, we you know we hopefully we can go toe to toe with them for for 80 minutes. 
Thanks, Gary. And if I could just get one from Marcel. Uh, Marcel, you've been one of the leading professionals in the side since you started kind of at the end of 2016. You know, at that time, about half the squad was still effectively amateur. Uh, today, it's an almost entirely professional squad. How much of a difference has that made to standards in the day-to-day training from your perspective? Um, I think uh, AJ made the point uh, yesterday in the team meeting that we we set off to win the game against Chile with the first practice that we had in Miami um, on Sunday and that the standard which was set that practice uh, set the time for the week. The, the standard was exceptional, um, skill levels were really high and you put that really down to each player being involved in a professional rugby setup. Um, and to see the difference between um, when I first joined the squad to now is, is amazing. But um, I, I think it's all created down to the individuals that have put themselves in the place to actually be involved in these professional setups. And I was, back at the end of 2016, um, guys were training as though they were professionals. Um, so it was, it's, it's just all credit to the amount of perseverance and effort that the guys put in that eventually the MLR and, and other gigs for some guys such as Joe and um, Cam, in, in some instance, they, these guys have got gigs um, and, and uh, opportunities to play around the world. And now there's a professional rugby league in America, which is only going to uh, increase the number of players that are coming through the system. So it's been awesome to see and long may it continue. You know, the positive effects of Major League Rugby are really just starting to show. Canada uh, won't really see the benefits until the next World Cup cycle. Um, there was a great result this past weekend for Canadian rugby, however. The, the Toronto Arrows, they dug deep. They got the win in Austin, their first ever win. You know, I, I thought Texas was supposed to be warm. The weather was, the weather was terrible. Um, Morgan Mitchell had a great game at prop, the uh, New Zealander from Southland. I was impressed with Spencer Jones. Uh, he's Canadian born, someone the Canadian selectors will be surely keeping a close eye on. Uh, I also thought, uh, Dan Moore did well at center. The arrows will have, uh, Giuseppe Dutois back from Canada this week. So it'll be interesting to see where everybody fits in. Certainly when they get a full strength lineup, it'll be really interesting to see where all those uh, pieces fit in the puzzle. Uh, Austin, on the other hand, really have to be concerned. That was the weakest Arrows lineup we'll see all season, and that's now three losses in a row at home for the Elite. Uh, You know, they've got some players still tied up in the visa process, but they really need to get something out of the next two weeks. Glendale this weekend and then San Diego. So hopefully Peter Malcolm uh, is back really soon from injury, and we'll see what happens there. Uh, the Legion pulled out the late win over Houston. You know, credit to the Sabercats for that defensive stand in the second half, but they never really looked like scoring. Um, Osea Kalinasau is a big loss in the midfield. They miss his creativity. Not sure really when he'll be back. And along the same lines, San Diego are missing Ryan Matias. Of course, his ability to create line breaks. Uh, Joe Peterson is, is really saving their bacon right now. What a classy player he is. And what a great game in Louisiana. The Gold versus the Seawolves. Nola uh, really look awesome. And now they have Tony Lamborn as well. They're, I mean, they're stacked. They have to be favorites for the title at the moment. And we'll see how the other teams adjust. You know, New York is up this weekend. Nice to see them back. Uh, the schedule's a little weird in spots, and that, that two-week break at the beginning of the season, not really ideal, but thankfully they're back. Now we get to see these guys in action. Ben Foden, again, uh, going to play outside center. You know, it's, that's an interesting selection. So we'll see how that goes. 
you know, one of the things I've noticed uh, thus far in the season, and, and perhaps it's to be expected this early in professionalism, is a lack of conditioning with some of the players. I think, I'm sure I've mentioned it before. Uh, teams are just now really starting to catch up in the match fitness department. I, I wanted to get a little bit more insight into elite level strength and conditioning in general and just happened to have the opportunity to chat with someone who knows a thing or two about that. Andy Evans was involved with Rugby Canada for about five years. He was the SNC coach with the Canada Sevens program when they were at their heights in the 2013-14 season. He was part of Kieran Crowley's staff that prepared for and traveled to the 2015 World Cup, and he's now restarting the rugby program at Trinity Western University in Langley, British Columbia, and uh, I expect we'll be hearing more about that in the future. Andy, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. You've actually just returned from Gonzaga College in Washington, D.C., doing some coaching with the Stars Rugby Sevens under-19s. I mean, you're out in British Columbia. How did you get involved with them? Uh, a couple years ago, the Stars were in town in Vancouver for the Vancouver Sevens Festival Tournament. So um, I was able to help them out with some logistics and just uh, connecting the United Rugby Club with them. Um, so we hosted them and just helped them out in Vancouver. And then from then, I've been in touch and I've provided them some strength and conditioning programming. And um, and then they just asked if I'd be able to help coach their U19 squad. And they're, I guess I worked a bit with their women and men a bit as well came in a day early uh to work with them but yeah so just uh help liz out with the stars and it was an awesome experience so is this gonna is this gonna be something you're gonna be doing again in the future is this just kind of a, a one-off training camp uh well it was it was definitely an awesome experience uh just uh fly in to uh washington dc and spend some time with some awesome athletes I've really fallen in love with going to the United States over the last few years. When I was with Rugby Canada, we had some awesome tours and just there's some awesome people down there. So I really like uh, Canada working well with the United States. So I hope it's not the last time and I'm sure it won't be. So uh, there's a lot of encouraged U19 players with the Stars. They they were called the the Young Bloods and now they're starting calling themselves the Blood Clot. So uh, <laughs> I think they're... Uh, developing their own identity within the stars which is pretty cool but they played some good rugby and we just trained after over one day and they played some yeah some good rugby against gonzaga so yeah, i'm sure we'll have more opportunity with the stars to go coach these squads and you're heading off to san diego tomorrow so busy you know living life out of a suitcase this week kind of you know talking about the, the talent in the united states of course now they have something to to really push towards with major league rugby when the second season started this past weekend, uh, you know, of course, we saw the Toronto Arrows. Finally, we get a Canadian team to compete at the professional level. You know, I, I noticed something watching the games. Um, I, I wrote something a, a short time ago about the preseason. I kind of felt was inadequate. Looking at some of the, the teams this weekend, you could really see a drop off uh, around, you know, in the second half. But even earlier, some teams were really starting to fail really at the end of the first half and, and pretty early 55. 50 55 minute mark in the second half how important is getting that uh, a strong preseason in before for that comes you know to to avoid that that meltdown uh it's definitely uh extremely important often it's easy to attribute and i'm probably sensitive with a strength and conditioning background of being blamed for losses in the last 20 or 30 minutes of a match but <laughs> you have to be physically prepared for sure but then also just the mental side of 
the game as well. But um, if you're if you're not strong in your legs, basically, and if you don't have a good aerobic base, you're bound to fall apart. So if you've, yeah, it it takes a a good training camp to make sure that you're physically prepared and and your your body is directly com, uh, connected to your mind. And rugby um, is definitely important. Is there, you know, like an ideal number of games you'd like to see player or, or minutes, maybe, I guess minutes is the big thing uh, nowadays. Is there an ideal number that you look at for a player to get in the preseason before that regular season starts? In terms of like physical load, if, it, if we're looking at the physical body, it's, it's important that you've trained for the worst case scenario. So you need to be able to handle the demands of the game. So you can either get that through structuring your training camp so that you're prepared for those demands, such such as running. Like you need to be able to run over 5,000 meters to last 60 minutes, typically. Or you should train for that, at least, that kind of goal for a back, at least. And then forwards need to be able to keep on ticking for you know similar running volumes as well. So if you haven't accumulated a proper running volume before your first match, you're going to fatigue pretty quickly. So... Um, like rugby players are, you know, at the at the professional level are typically running well over 20 kilometers a week. So the run, running volume and making sure you have high speed running in conjunction in your within training and preseason games, you need to have a good mix of that. So you just have to structure that properly. And the other thing, change your direction and all the contact and collision of rugby. You need to have a strong dose of that. There's ways to get it other than just in the weight room or doing tackle or contact or scrum sessions. But uh, it's a stimulus the body needs to be prepared for. And if you don't, then you either slow down and play a pace of rugby that's not really fun to watch or you end up getting injured um, or both. So it's a tricky thing. There's a lot of details to it, but I think a lot of places will figure it out. Uh, I'm not sure where Major League Rugby is at. I, I, I'm pretty sure there's some good people involved, but uh, I haven't really had too much contact with any of those franchises. You know, you got to, to travel around a fair bit, and you also got to work with guys, you know, playing at clubs really all over the world. Did, did you ever get feedback from them? Like, we, we France kind of has this reputation that that their S&C isn't really up to par compared to, say, North America. Uh, did you ever get that impression from the players? Well, France is, there's so many different uh, environments there. So I heard really good things from our players at Claremont. And then a lot of other clubs, players who weren't at the top flight of French rugby, um, who I communicated with. But it sounds like they had some really good personnel and facilities at Claremont. But yeah, definitely uh, some stories from some of the other players in France. Uh, like they were not allowed to squat or things like that. Um, so you hear some odd things and players often would sneak off a lot of our canadian players are really hard working boys and they'd uh, sneak off and do their weights on their own or whatever if they weren't allowed at the club so so you get that perspective and then when there was the pro rugby um, a couple of our players at san diego had a really good experience um had a lot of good things to say with the training they had down in uh in california so definitely there's uh and i think it was probably a breath of fresh air probably um getting something a little bit different, learning from other sports. So rugby doesn't have it all figured out. There's a lot of really good things in rugby, but uh, I think there's still a lot rugby can learn from other sports. I think the football background and a lot of things was probably one of the things that those players in San Diego liked. I mean, you worked uh, across a lot of different sports um, and, you know, a wide range of, of, of requirements and, and, and really interest, you know, some of them 
would probably be a lot more heavy in the gym. There's more conditioning, uh, motion based, but having done all that and working with rugby, where does rugby stack up for those sports for you? I mean, obviously you're very passionate about the sport. Is that, is that what you really enjoy working with is rugby players? I, I really do love working with rugby players overall between the, the front row to the back three, you've got to be good at everything and prepared for a lot. Um, so it's a, strength and conditioning coach or a sports scientist or a coach you have to be really integrated with your team and making sure your all your players are covered from 1 to 15 and then developing players from a young age to be able to play at a international or professional level is a really fun challenge and it's really awesome to see the growth of players so to has the opportunity to see some of the players uh, like U20s in 2011 to their professional careers now it's really really cool to see the work that they've put in and um, how they've kind of maximized their genetic potential. And often it takes quite a while, especially for uh, like type five type players or four t- to develop that. Rugby is really fun to work in strength and conditioning. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of scientific research done in it. And that's a tribute to a lot of uh, the Southern Hemisphere franchises that really work well with universities. Um, it's the same with in the UK. So there's a lot of good things in rugby. But there's like sports like volleyball at our the university I'm working at now. Like those athletes are phenomenal, and if we could convert some of those to be locks, lineouts could go to a whole new level. So you're now going to be taking over the Trinity Western program, a director of rugby for women's sevens and the uh, the men's fifteens. You know, it's just getting started, so you really get to build uh, the whole program from scratch. Coming from an S and C background, that must be very exciting for you. Yeah. It's- it's been fantastic. So I've been at it working towards rugby for the past year and a half at the school. And I've been uh, completing a master's degree in high performance sport and technical leadership at UBC. Um, and it's uh, put together by a group of sport bodies in Canada. So own the podium and Canadian sports Institute and UBC and coaches association of Canada. So through that, it's, so there's a bit of a plug for them, but it has been phenomenal. So it's been giving me the background on the administrative side of things. So getting all our, financials in place that um, we're able to put together a pretty phenomenal rugby program that's supported by the university. Uh, And then also just digging into the coaching side of things and uh, making sure that we're getting the best personnel to ensure rugby players at Trinity Western are supported in a way that they can get to the professional or international level while getting an awesome education. So yeah, to be a director of rugby, to really make an impact in many people's young lives, it's, it's a big responsibility and a really fun challenge. You know, a little small part of, of your trip to San Diego will, will be some recruiting. Um, obviously, you're going to be looking far and wide. You, um, you've got some scholarships, I hear, on offer there. Um, when you're recruiting an athlete, you know, are you looking for raw for rugby specifically? Are you looking for a raw athletic potential? You know, someone you can maybe mold along the way. Um, are you looking for you know looking at their rugby skills? It's just just a mishmash. Do you have kind of one thing that pushes above something else in Canadian sport? Um, like on the podium, they've got a model that they uh, they they're looking for to produce results. That's evidence based. So with a team sport such as rugby, you want to have a winning style of play. Uh, this is what the women's sevens uh, program in Canada has to provide evidence to to own the podium to get their funding and make sure that they're on the right track. So winning style of play is just providing evidence of a way that you aim to tactically and technically play the game to win a podium result. So um, within rugby, there's a style of rugby we'd like to play at Trinity Western that's pretty expansive and fun and 
um, explosive and dynamic. So those are the type of athletes that we need to find in a, a gold medal profile is the language that they call it in Canada. So for each position, one to 15, you've got a physical profile that we'll be looking for. And for me, I, I'm really interested in finding those types of athletes that have that kind of potential to develop that skill set. A lot of it's based off of the Southern Hemisphere teams and the style of rugby that we'd like to play. And those are the types of players that I'd be looking for. And in North America, I'm not expected polished athletes with the best decision-making or the best skills. And we, we hope to coach them up at Trinity Western. But uh, there are definitely some physical qualities we'd be looking for for specific positions. But rugby is an awesome game where, you know, there's there's flexibility in positions where you can excel kind of despite not fitting the mold. So in an answer, uh, yeah, we're looking for specific things, but if an athlete shows us they're capable of fulfilling a role, we want to take a serious look at them. And then along with those, there's really big character and personal piece to that and the values that these individuals have. So we want a, a program to develop fine individuals and the mission of our universities to develop uh, leaders for the global marketplace uh, to serve others and and that's what we hope our rugby program does, not just about the rugby. Kind of like a, you know, everyone talks about the New Zealand ethos where, you know, better better people will make better rugby players, that kind of idea. Um, we had like Curry Hitchborn uh, on talking extensively about the the value of, of, of collegiate rugby as a, in uh, university rugby as a, as a development program. Also, Pete Steinberg talking about that from specifically an SNC perspective, because, you know, you're obviously an expert in, in that area. You know, how critical is that kind of that that point in time from, you know, they're coming in probably around 18, 19 until, you know, 22, 23, probably something like that is, you know, how critical is that for developing your 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 body and your um, your strength from then to becoming potentially a professional athlete? It's extremely important. And it's really the key window that in North America, we need to make sure that we're responsible with uh, in developing. Often when we're at Rugby Canada, you get uh, the U20s coming in. And I think it's definitely gotten better with better university programs and training environments across the country. But when uh, we were doing U20s, you get like some genetic freaks who come in who could challenge a senior man, man for their, their place on the team. But the majority weren't physically prepared enough and... Um, if you look at the carding athletes for sevens, typically it would take two years of training in the centralized environment before they were ready for the circuit. So if we're able at age 18, or even if we're able to provide some support across the country, and I think there's some really good work being done with Rugby Canada. And I think Gethin Watts uh, has been doing some awesome uh, encouragement and working with people across the country to ensure that these athletes are getting in environments where they can start a bit younger and start getting that cumulative uh, training dose that's necessary to prepare the body for international rugby. And there's some key adaptations that happen. If you look at rugby players or wrestlers, they look like rugby players or wrestlers. And even just playing rugby a lot will give a good dose on the body that'll uh, make adaptations that's suitable for playing rugby. So you look at any front row who's been doing that for 15 years, they look like a prop and might have a rugby hump, but that's a adaptation to playing rugby. So there needs to be a balance between playing rugby and training for rugby and then also being in the weight room. So there's a lot of key adaptations that happen between the age of 18 to if you're a front rower to 30 or for a back between, you know, you could even go younger, but 18 to 23 is a really key age that if we can do that well, it'll make massive difference to the level of rugby in North America. Now you were, you know, 
training with the sevens. You did the 2013 uh, Rugby World Cup sevens, and you were also you were with the the, the team, the men's team, 2013-14 season when they finished sixth overall on the on the seven series. Um, you know, looking at the teams ahead, uh, New Zealand, South Africa, Fiji, England, Australia. You know, obviously in sevens, fitness conditioning is a massive component of success. So, looking at that now, uh, do you think that? there was any higher they could have gone with any, you know, any changes in conditioning or at that point, is it just, is it more pure athleticism and rugby ability to get higher up the ladder? That was a special group of athletes who really bonded in that year to come into six in the world and the physical side of things. Those, those men trained extremely hard and pushed one another and they're extremely physical. I think uh, we did a lot of things right that year. Um, I think the players are really well supported and, and they were playing 15s as well. And, um, they had a huge rugby load and then still had some really good performances. And, uh, we qualified for the world cup that year. They played pretty good rugby, uh, to do so as well. Um, so I just credit those guys for playing some really good rugby, uh, 15s and sevens. Phil Mack was a key leader and John Moonlight, uh, Nate Hirayama, those guys are pretty phenomenal and they all stand out today. So in terms of fitness, those guys were pretty fit. I, I, you know, looking back, I always feel I could have done things better myself, but, uh, you know, despite me, they still got pretty good <laughs> results. It's interesting. You talk about, uh, you know, those guys playing both sevens and fifteens at that time, there wasn't really as, as clear a separation. We kind of got into something where it was very separated. Now, recently, we've kind of had a, a strategic change where they've a little bit shifted back to where it's more interchangeable. Although, as I understand it, it's they are now mostly training separately uh, now as opposed to being all mishmashed into one centralized group. But how how different is it really, the physical preparation between the 7 Series and the 15s? Like, how different are the physical requirements between the two? Yeah, the way I always looked at it is that was a challenge that we were faced with. And... I wanted to make it look at it as an opportunity. So if we could have the speed and dynamic athleticism of sevens um, and X factor from sevens combined with the physicality and uh, robustness of 15s, we could make some special rugby players. So that's, that's the philosophy I took into preparing the men. Um, we lifted a lot of weight, like those sevens guys, we, we threw a lot of volume at them and they handled it really well. And then um, the running volumes were pretty tremendous. So sevens players will run over 30 kilometers a week and much of that uh, high speed volume. So the, the games are quite different. I think uh, there were times when we were able to give them more transition time to go from sevens to 15s. And if they were centralized for a longer period in the 15s environment and getting used to that type of training and longer training sessions and then playing a few games over 80 minutes, then their bodies can adapt to a bit more of the aerobic side of 15s and different pace. And then switching back to sevens is, is probably a little bit trickier. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't have to put my own body through it. So it'd be a good question to ask those guys a bit more, but you know, I, they, they were up for the challenge and they did it really well. So um, the, they're different games for sure. But uh, I think if you can look at it as an opportunity to try to be uh, a special breed of rugby player, then I think that's what they did that year. And they had some pretty phenomenal results. So, uh, John Moonlight and Phil Mack were on the dream team that year, I think for sevens, they're just unreal people. So I think they're up for a challenge, whatever. So I think often just lately, I think it's more of the 
interpersonal conflicts that have kind of been at Rugby Canada. But I think looking at it now, like they're really well sorted and on a path towards success with some really good individuals at Rugby Canada. So I'm really excited for the future there. Well, it sounds like you're pretty uh, positive for the future of Rugby Canada these days, which is good to hear. You know, it's kind of been a struggle for for a while now. We've had some some rough days. You know, part of what I'm hearing uh, that's coming in the works is kind of a uh, a revamp or a reboot of the old Pacific Pride program. Not, maybe not exactly the same, but where they have a development program, they'll use the centralized guys who aren't in uh, collegiate university teams to play in that side. Do you think that's a, a, a good thing to, to bring back to Canada? I think it's awesome. Um, Rugby Canada has been really uh, collaborative lately, and I've had some really good discussions with good people over there, and I really think there are well-thought-out plans, especially for 15s, um, to ensure players are supported and getting the uh, support that they need to be able to perform on the world stage. And I think there's it's not about any egos or anything. They just genuinely want what's best for these uh, players. So um also i've had discussions about them encouraging the university program so um, i've been reaching out to make sure that our program at trinity western university is aligned with rugby canada and supportive of um what they're trying to accomplish and it sounds like um with the revamped pride or uh, rugby canada academy for these young guys i think we're going to have some really good competitions between these universities and um the academy and also that academy gives players who may not uh, be academics an opportunity to you know pursue a trade or or something else and and uh, play rugby and train in an environment that'll help them get to that next level and if you have uh, four or five really good training environments for young men um, with good competition where they're going to be you know lifting weights and having skill sessions and units and team sessions all throughout the week. It's not just club rugby where you're trained twice a week. If you're doing that with over, you know, if you have four, four teams with 30 players of interest, that's 120 athletes that's of young men. That's pretty phenomenal. So if you're pulling out of that pool of cumulative training, you're going to probably have some good results. So I think that's a bit of the, the wave that, uh, of thinking that's happening at rugby Canada. And I'm, uh, I'm really encouraged by the conversations we've had over there. So if players are interested, young players out there are interested in, in, in looking at one of these scholarships at Trinity Western, how do they uh, how do they get in touch with you? How do they kind of apply for this? Yeah, they just get in touch with me, Andrew Evans, at TWU.ca is my email address. Uh, so give me a shout, and uh, or you can look up. We've got a webpage, TWU.ca slash rugby. So if they go on there, there's a form they can fill out, and we'll be in touch you don't have to be the best polished rugby player. Um, we've got some big scholarships, but then we've got uh, rugby is a sport for all. So um, if they want to get an education and play rugby, we will have a development program as well to help them get to that level where they can reach a bigger scholarship. Um, and if they're a stud already and uh, the right fit character wise, then, you know, they could get a pretty attractive scholarship to make education extremely cheap for themselves. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to. I've already been in touch with a lot of really awesome young people for this program, but uh, we want to make sure that we're uh, working with the other universities locally. Um, and the, the other coaches have been awesome and supporting. So there's, man, it, there's so much to be positive about in uh, collegiate rugby in Canada right now. So, and credit to Rugby Canada for supporting that. For your, any 
young rugby players in the country to get to uh, work with someone with your experience, that would uh, definitely be a positive, I dare say. So before I, I let you go, uh, I, I got to get some kind of story out of here. Looking back at all the, the incredible athletes you've worked with, you know, do any stand out in the, the, the training environment as being particularly impressive? You know, like maybe someone's uh, really, really strong in the in the weight room or something, or or someone is just a, a complete freak uh, doing the yo-yo or beep test or anything like that. Does anybody, is there anybody who really stands out? Is there any one story that sticks out? I don't have any, like, highly entertaining stories or anything. <laughs> um, I think the one guy who's just overall outstanding, um... I'll give you sevens player and then fifteens player, but uh, so Nate Hiriyama, like you watch him play on the field, like you try to do an agility session with Nate Hiriyama, you can't teach that guy anything because he was just uh, blessed from God to be able to move the way he is. Um, but then in the weight room, like he's one of the most powerful on the yo-yo test or on the bronco or whatever, he'll just smash it. Um, so and then um, acceleration, he's awesome. So the Man, Nate Nate's unreal, and you can watch it on the field, and he uh, he puts it up all the time. So for years, like a decade, so he's pretty phenomenal. Um, and then in terms of like wrestling or combat and collision, we mentioned, and so Adam Kleberger was one of those guys who just had the intensity, um, and I think he's probably one of Canada's greatest leaders that we've had, and he's a pretty quiet kind of guy, but led by example. So on the wrestling mat. He's a freak. Guys wouldn't want to go against him doing combat sessions or yeah, just the intensity Cleves brings um, to all that he does. So he's just, an, I'm so happy that uh, he's been uh, leading a key role in Canada's development. He's the type of guy you want to follow. So, and I think he saw that at the 2011 World Cup. Um, and then he was there during that uh, successful year with the sevens as well. So you point back to, to strong leaders like Cleves. Um, he's a freak. He can lift a ton of weight, extremely powerful, but he'll put his body on the line. And we've seen that. So he's seen it in slow motion against Tony Woodcock. So yeah, those are two guys who stand out to me and awesome, awesome characters and great men. Yes, certainly two of the most uh, memorable players in Canadian rugby in recent years. And and we still get to watch Nate Hiriyama in action. Uh, well, Andy, enjoy the trip to San Diego, and we look uh, forward to watching you build what sounds like a great new program at Trinity Western. And thanks again for joining us today. Thanks, Brian. And uh, I appreciate it to all that you do to make sure these stories are told um, and highlight all the athletes around in North America. So all my full support. Thank you. That was Andy Evans, formerly head of strength and conditioning at Rugby Canada, now director of rugby at Trinity Western University. And I should add that Trinity have now picked up Adam Roberts to help run that program. Adam is a a very promising coach from BC. He was a good player back in the day and now involved with Canada's age grade program. So Trinity Western really putting themselves on the map. They'll be a good spot for young players looking to put themselves in contention for international rugby in the future. Uh, You can find Andy on Twitter at Andy Evans underscore SS. Maybe SS stands for superstar or something. You'd have to ask him. He's quite active there. So check, check him out on there. My next guest is, is also pretty unique. It's, it's hard to find interviews and insight into South American rugby written in the English language. Of course, that was part of the idea behind ARN in, in the first place, but it's even more challenging to find audio interviews. Uh, 
Part of that difficulty, of course, is the language. I don't speak Spanish or Portuguese, and while Paul Tate uh, does, it wouldn't really fit in into a podcast geared to an English audience. Uh, by the way, uh, shout-outs to the On La Mele podcast started by Victor Perez. If you're interested in a Spanish-language MLR show, check that one out. Um, so I wanted to get some genuine insight into Uruguayan rugby in particular, and finding a player as experienced as my next guest who also happened to speak pretty good English, was really exciting for me. Carlos Arbolesia played for Los Terros for more than a decade. He won more than 60 caps. He captained the side. He was the starting hooker at the 2015 World Cup. He was with the team as recently as last year, and he occasionally makes appearances as a commentator on Uruguayan television. This is my conversation with Carlos just ahead of the opening round of the ARC. Carlos, thank you so much for your time. I, I want to start by offering you an apology for calling you old when I saw you playing at the Punta del Este. I suppose 33 isn't actually that old. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brian, for reaching out. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure for me. I, I do believe I'm not old, but uh, just circumstances are telling me otherwise. But uh, I'm still having fun, and I think that's uh, the best part. I read an article uh, in, in El Observador um, by Ignacio Chans, about you and Martin Espiga, uh, where you call yourselves former Taros. Are you now retired from international rugby? Uh, I would I would, I would, would say so because I don't have the time to train as much as I, uh, I would like. Uh, and the actual need for Taros right now is to have almost a, almost a professional circumstances around them. So they should be training a lot as they are. I think I, I could still help in, uh, in some way. And it's hard to say that I'm retired, but I think that circumstances have retired me. I guess uh, I, I think I, I think uh, think that I could play a little more always, but uh, I'm gonna enjoy what what I can get. So I guess what you're saying is that they're looking at more of a commitment from the from the other guys, the central training group. But you would answer the call if uh, if Esteban called you tomorrow and said we need you, you would still play. I mean, what I say is, uh, last year I made a decision because I was I was working and I and I had a lot of uh, commitment to that work in terms of uh, schedule and 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 that maybe close close a couple of doors for me. Uh, but I'm, I'm I'm always open to rethink the situation as I've done it several times in the past. Uh, it's hard to, for me to say no. The the terrors, uh, gave me a lot of what I am, so it's really hard to say no to to a call. That's that's what I meant. When when you see someone like uh, you know Rodrigo Capo Ortega still playing you know professionally for Castro and still playing for Los Terros, I mean, can you believe that he's still going, knowing that he started you know even before you did with the team? Yeah, I mean, uh, Rodrigo is one of a kind. Uh, he's the best uh, Uruguayan rugby player in in, in the history. The, the thing that he has done, uh, no one no one else has done it. Two championships with Castro, being a captain, twenty years in professional rugby. I mean, I, I think he has a lot of uh, hard work uh, behind it, uh, and he has a lot of work ethic. So he can he can mantel himself uh, in in that top league, and that's that's his work. His life uh, goes around rugby and 100% that and his family obviously. But it's it's hard to believe that he has he has uh, gone that far. But he keeps playing and playing every weekend better. So who could question him? I, I read something in that article where you were saying that if you were 23. 
you know, now you might consider a, a professional rugby career, but you know, you're you're a bit older than that now. Um, was there ever an opportunity for you to to go professional, maybe in in France or anything? I would I, I would have considered it, but I never searched for it. So and nobody ever asked me to be to be true. So I I would have done it probably after the World Cup, like maybe yeah, like a year or something like that. But uh, I also graduated, so trying to put all those all those hours of studying and, and working hard for it, uh, trying to get a job uh, around that area, I would have liked that. That's what I think. And rugby will give me maybe two more, three years. A uh, steady job will probably give me a, quite a more than that. Now, you kind of come from the, the amateur era. You know, a lot of these guys, Martin Espig is a doctor, uh, Joaquin Prada also studying medicine. You know, you went to actually Duke University to study uh, an MBA. How important do you think is it to have that career, to have an education behind you, you know, a, apart from rugby? Well, I mean, I think that's uh, definitely a must. You shouldn't get a contract if you haven't finished high school, and you shouldn't get a contract if you haven't studied something else, because... Rugby, it could be your life, but if, if you get injured and you don't have a backup plan, that's not good for anyone. And most of uh, the guys are, are around my age, we love rugby and we have it like a, a second thing after after study. But we know that study was the first, uh, the, the first thing and that will take us the long way. And we, we will give rugby all the other time that we didn't, we didn't end up uh, studying. But we know that the important thing was studying. I mean, because after, after that, if rugby takes you 38, uh, after that, what you can do? You won't live up with the money you've saved. Uh, that's what I mean. You played for Los Terros for, I mean, I'm trying to think your debut, 2004 against Georgia. Is that right? Yeah, uh, here in Uruguay. Yeah, so more than 10 years played for Los Terros. You know, looking back, is, is the highlight for you, as it stands, Rugby World Cup 2015? Yeah, definitely. I debuted after uh, the 03 World Cup. And so there was a rough year uh, for Los Teros. And there are changing of presidencies. Uh, people not like no wanting to be in the team, changing uh, coaches. There were a lot of things that would work against uh, the best performance of, of the team. And there were a couple of years that I didn't actually play because I, I, I was injured. And then when all things came together around 2013 uh, with Pablo Limoine, it, it changed the aspect of how people would look at the team and how we will work for the team. Uh, and me try, uh, getting into that squad and after getting into the squad, being lucky enough to play all the games, I think that that was the highest, the highest point in my career, definitely. And one of the things I will remember for a long, long time, definitely. How did it feel to score against Fiji at Milton Keynes, the first World Cup try for Uruguay in 12 years? Well... There was a big joy in me, uh, a, a lot of relief because uh, we were working. Every, all, all the team was working, trying to score, because we uh, we have some really rough games against Wales and uh, Australia. Uh, and I think in that game we were playing much more than the other games. We were happy we having the ball, we're passing the ball, we're running, uh, and just I, I was there in the right place. It could have been a, just another one, but it was it was an immense joy. I was just like big amount of relief that went all through my body. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll stick it goosebumps every time I watch the video. You were part of the squad when they you beat Russia to qualify for the World Cup the year before. You know, are, yeah. are, there, are there any other games, um, you know, throughout those 10 years that, that, that kind of stand out looking back at them? 
on the on the upside, uh, there are a couple of games against Chile in Chile that uh, were very good because one of when I was captain, I remember one that uh, was really really tough, uh, 2010. Then in in 2014, we play against Russia in the Nations Cup and as we beat them in a, in a very very contested match, I think it was like. 8, uh, 11-8, something like that. We changed the, the world ranking and we we got to decide on Montevideo. The qualifications, that was a really tough game. And it also meant a lot for us to be the, uh, to have the decider on Montevideo. Obviously, the, the game was against Russia, anyone from the World Cup. Uh, maybe they debuted because uh, I was uh, I was very young and I debuted in a, in a, in a position that I had played in, like, in a couple of years. <laughs> they put me up as a... As a Loose head, uh, and I was training as a as a hooker. That was fun. <laughs> now you played a, a, across the front row, really, during your international career. But I guess largely at hooker is hooker your your preferred position? Yeah, definitely. Because uh, I, I don't get uh, tired as much playing hooker, and I can run a little bit more. Uh, and I like being in the in the open side. I played as props. Mostly tight head, and then some years as a loose head. Uh, but I get I get really tired playing like that. Uh, just I'm a man in the scrum, and then I just I don't play a lot. The scrum is obviously it's very strong in South America. Traditionally, it's a, it's a point of strength. Uh, certainly in Argentina, also in Uruguay. How how much difference is there really between? Between hooker and tight hip prop, there seems like there's a lot of players who can play both from down there. Is this just something that you get from growing up, asking to play other positions in in your club? Um, you know, why is it we see that? Like right now, I could see. Well, there was yourself, I see, but a guy like Guillermo Pujadas coming up now is playing across no. the front row. One, the same uh, thing. One, yeah, good play. Uh, either either position in the front row too. He has he has done that. I think is uh, one of the things that they teach us here is like whenever they doom you to be a front rower, uh, you you need to play in every position. It's just just like that. Uh, unless you are a really big big guy that you won't play in a hooker. Otherwise, you need to play number one, number two, number three, and you can just get used to it. You probably gonna lose some of like like very specific skills knowing how to play the, the, the three positions. But in, in my case, for example, it gave me an edge against uh, another players in, in the squad for the World Cup because I could be the replacement of anyone. That's really good. It's just you need to get used to it. Something now the trend is for, you know, to move a back rower to the front row. You know, I know many years ago they were looking at uh, possibly Alejandro Nieto moving there, but he ended up staying at number mm-hmm. eight. But, but now uh, Manuel Ardao is getting a, a good look at Hooker right now. What do you think of, of a move like that? I mean, uh, it's, it's nothing new. You you, you have Auskin uh, Krevi. He, he played for us flankers, number eight, and he's one of the best hookers in the world right now. It will take a lot of effort. It will take a lot of uh, a change in the physique. Manuel will have to gain a, definitely a couple of pounds because uh, nowadays front rowers and forwards in general are getting bigger and bigger and heavier. So once you're good at some, uh, maybe you're running and passing and you have a good technique uh, in the scrum, but if, if you don't have enough weight, at some point they will just outweigh you and then you're going to have a really bad afternoon. But I mean, they could work because people were used to have props that wouldn't wouldn't pass, wouldn't wouldn't dribble, and nowadays you can see a lot of props on front rowers that can do that. So just trying to learn them from being when they are kids, or just trying to change that afterwards. Have you seen a, a big change in the standard of rugby in Uruguay since you know in these past 10, 12 years? 
Yeah, because I, I think uh, from from some time onwards, the the focus has been on skills and how you make decisions, the time in, in which you make a good and bad decision. That's what changed the game. So, okay, you need to run, you need to be strong, you need to know how to pass it, but now you're, you're, you, know, you need to know how to pass it really good to both sides and know how to make a good decision to find the spaces. All that wasn't really a focus. Uh, I mean, there were some people that would basically naturally know it, and then the other guy would just be in support. Now everybody has to know how to do those things. You know, this weekend, obviously, Canada plays... Uruguay in Montevideo, the first weekend of the America's Rugby Championship. You were the captain at the Churchill Cup back in yeah. 2010 when Los Terros lost to Canada by 48-6. to Going into this weekend's game, Uruguay has won three games in a row against Canada. I guess, first of all, looking back at 2010, did you think that that the tide would turn, that you would you would get back to be able to compete against Canada. And and what do you think was the, I guess, the turning point? What, what what really helped Uruguay rugby to get to where it is now? At that point, I wouldn't think that we'd have won three games in a row. Uh, probably if, if you got a better team, we might have won some games. Uh, Uruguay had beaten Canada before. But uh, I guess uh, just the way it changed, how professionally is now uh, addressed all, what is uh, around rugby, in terms of strength and condition, in terms of tactics, in terms of overall training, uh, getting ready, the way people eat, the way people rest, the way people travel. I mean, uh, unions are making an effort so to everybody can travel safely and have a good time to recover whenever they get to somewhere. So that change and probably a little bit of declining in, in terms of the Can- Canadian union, it's, this is a really personal opinion. All, all those uh, elements uh, let Uruguay won three times in a row. It's, a, it's just like a conjunction of all those things. You know, you've experienced lots of coaches. You said, obviously, when Pablo Lemoyne came in, your old, your old teammate, you played with him. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, he had a long professional career uh, from Uruguay to come back and, and support the team uh, through 2015. And then you got Esteban Menezes from, from Argentina came over. What was the change like there with the two of them? Like, what's the difference between their approaches? One thing that I want to say is that also behind Pablo Lemoyne, there was a lot of, uh, I think the change back in the, in those days was the way all the clubs aligned behind the union, just try to go in the same direction, which it was something that didn't happen before. And that would harness any intention of, uh, of good rugby in terms of uh, Los Teros or whatever project somebody would present. And so that uh, putting behind the coach uh, or the union just helped a lot. Pablo would have a, a very, very tight grasp on all the aspects. He would like to know everything about every everyone and every part of the game. And Esteban, he, he's more like a tactical guy. He's more from behind. He knows everybody and he... He's, he's aware of all, all the status, but he, he just delegates more in, in all, all the other coaches that he has. Uh, and so maybe the situation's a little less uh, tight, something mm. like that. He just came with a lot of more years of coaching and another, uh, a different approach in terms of he would like to be more analytical and not, not try to be in every little detail. If somebody wasn't passing right, there was this guy who would tell him how to pass. No, he would not come to tell, me, to tell you you need to do it like this now. So, and Paolo would be all over the guys. I mean, just 
different approach on how to how to manage teams, I guess. The other change that seems like a big change is the Charua has has now developed, and there's the full time training environment there. You know, how how much of a, a help is that to have that center of excellence where everybody can go and train together and and prepare physically at the same time? Is that's cornerstone of whatever growth Uruguayan uh, rugby has had because. You know, there was always somebody uh, training there. You could have balls. You could you go to kick if you were a kicker. You would throw if you were a hooker. There was there was a gym. There was a doctor up sometimes. There's physiotherapy every morning and uh, in the and in the afternoon. You can have one of the coach probably working there, and you can ask him uh, whatever you want to to know. The nutritionist uh, they go I don't know two, three, four times a week. It's just a, a place where you can go and, and if you're part of, of the team, you have something to do. You can rest, you can have a good shower. There's a lot of things. Also, when they are, you have um, under 20, under 18 uh, teams, they could they would go to the same place and see the other guys who are bigger than them that they may have seen them in the, in the World Cup and just train and dream to be like them. And they have already uh, gone through those processes. And some of them are actually trying to get into the, this, this World Cup. We've seen these huge changes on the field. Uruguay has had tremendous success since Rugby World Cup 2015 and, and probably the biggest, obviously, beating Canada to qualify uh, mm-hmm. for Rugby World Cup 2019 this year. How's the popularity of the sport in Uruguay itself? How, how do the people think of the game now? Has it increased its popularity because yeah, of the success? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it has. Uh, I was hearing uh, one of the sports commentators a couple of months ago. They were arguing that rugby was now the second sport in the, in Uruguay. I think that's a stretch because obviously you have football as uh, number one, or soccer, if you want it. Uh, but then also there's always basketball, which is a, a really good one. But it hasn't had the best of times in terms of sports success. And now rugby is getting bigger and bigger. And we got to qualify for this year's World Cup. And beating Canada was a huge boost. And so people are going to Charua trying to watch the games. There were like around 8,000 to 10,000 uh, people watching the Los Teros Jaguares game uh, a couple of weeks ago. or well, last week, I guess. And I think uh, there's going to be a lot of people watching uh, UA against Canada. So it's just slowly getting really known, the sports. And people are just are just throwing away the idea that it's a violent sport, that just people who just beat each other out in the field, uh, and that it's a very snob uh, sport. I think it's working steadily and progressively to, towards being a more popular sport. Ten of Los Teros have gone to the United States to play for... Uh, in Major League Rugby. Uh, are people aware of this? Are people following that at all? Yeah, I guess people who know rugby, they, they all know about this. It's starting to, to show in, in the media here. Just last week was the first game. It's getting a lot of attention, but I think it has it's a short season, so we will have to see how much people could, could really get a hold of the championship. The next step, from what we're hearing anyways, is that uh, the Liga Americana or Sudamericana or whatever it's going to be called, the LAR, uh, is going to be starting soon. Hopefully next year is the plan, Hopefully I guess. And they're talking about two teams in Uruguay, uh, possibly linked to Nacional and Peñarol, the, the huge soccer, soccer teams. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think this is, first of all, I mean, do, do you think this is going to happen? And do you think Uruguay can support these two teams? 
I really don't know if we can support those teams. I really hope we can. I'm just I'm having a lot of issues about actually seeing those teams playing uh, next year, as people told. But uh, the ARC was like a dream when the first came to told us that we were going to play five games uh, again with Canada, the States, uh, Chile, Argentina, and Brazil. It's like this won't last. It has a lot of get, a, a lot of traveling, and it's in the middle of February. We are in we are like in preseason, and we are entering the fourth tournament this year. So we need to pick, uh, take our hopes up uh, and hope for the best. I mean, maybe the first year it won't it won't be a very competitive uh, tournament, and there will be a lot of things that the that won't go out really well. But if you can put uh, all national and pay at all behind uh, the teams, they could have a really good boost. And it's also would like to would work as a as a way of changing the, the way people see rugby, and also trying to change the way people see that the adversity between national and Peñarol, which is always the, in terms of soccer, like it has a lot of violence and all that. Then we can show them the other way with rugby. Do you think this is the next step, really, for? For Uruguayan rugby, I mean, uh, you know, you can send players to Europe. Felipe Berchesi has been over in France, obviously. Capo Ortega has been there for years. Uh, but is it really necessary? Is it, or is it, you know, almost a priority to get some kind of professional rugby in South America to give those those players options closer to home? I haven't really made a uh, made up my mind of what this league would meant. Uh, professionally for the rugby clubs here because they're going to be 40 45 guys training not much more than that and maybe in a couple of years another uh, another team how how would affect clubs uh, that would be my the, the most difficult question to ask and if, if they do get affected that will harness badly on our rugby because clubs are the main thing that just keep feeding uh, los teros and all those uh, professional teams I'm just trying to mirror Argentina and see how they how they did it, and they haven't gone professionally. So it's difficult for me to think that we, as a very small country with much less players, will be able to hold uh, uh, two teams or maybe more teams. I hope we can. I mean, I think it, it will be great, and we will uh, increase our level. But it's hard to think that we can just strip the uh, the best players from clubs and not uh, lower the level of the European Championship. Yeah, how popular is that? The, the Campeonato, the, the Uruguayan Championship. Is it, I mean, I saw the the video of the final, I'll, I'll ask you about that in a moment, but it seemed like there were lots of people there watching the game. Is it is this really popular? In the, in the final stages, people go to to games. During the, like the pool stages, there's not much people going. They could go to really good games, maybe Old Boys, Old Christian. There you can have a, sure, a good amount of people. Some Old Christians, Carrasco Polo, there's a lot of people going. Otherwise, no, not a lot of people. When semifinals or finals are played, there you you can have more people, uh, but couple thousands, not much more than that. So really, we'll be uh, just kind of put it out there and see what happens with this whole professional thing. I guess is is what's going to happen. Um, so Trebol won the, the championship in November for the first time ever. Congratulations, that's your team. You know, yeah. it tied. Uh, the game was tied after a hundred minutes in the final. Yeah. And your team actually won on a, a penalty shootout uh, against Old Christians, I believe. Yes. Uh, and uh, Andres de Leon, the Taros fly half, missed a kick, and then you guys made it. You know, how, how amazing was that moment for you and your club? Uh, for the club, it's, it's amazing. We've been working for several years. Uh, I would say 10 or 12 for me, and obviously 30 or more for some of the old folks. Uh, 
we've been trying to improve as a uh, as a club playing uh, and institutionally and so there was a big effort that we did and just it was a great award to have won last year we i think we don't still believe it because uh, it's really odd um, in the last 30 years only carrasco polo all christians and all boys have won and then we just squeezed in uh, with that that kick and the game itself, the final was crazy. 100 minutes, and we were we were tied 22-22 in the 65th minute. So there were like a whole 40 minutes without uh, without anybody scoring. So it was crazy. But uh, I think that treble won. It, it will also help the England uh, to develop a little bit more of of rugby. Well, there's half of the population of Uruguay, and there's a lot of potential. So hopefully, it will do good for Uruguay and rugby. Like you just said, only the three big clubs have won for the last forever, really. Is this also a good thing for other smaller clubs, Los Cuervos and uh, you know, Cricket Club? Does this, does this give them a little bit of hope that they can actually achieve that level? I, I think, yeah, definitely. Uh, both Cricket and Los Cuervos, uh, they have uh, had really good championships. They were like inches away of reaching the final. Personally, we had, uh, we traveled. We played like seven or eight semifinals. Uh, we we were never we, we had never reached a final before. We just got really lucky when we reached the final last year because uh, all Christians have a really good team uh, and we won like with sheer luck, I guess. <laughs> so, how long do you see yourself playing club rugby now? I would say two more years, maybe, maybe. I'm just, uh, I just started pre-season, so I'm just taking day by day, I guess. <laughs> last, last year was a really, a really long one. I uh, ended up really tired. I got to play afterwards with seven, uh, but uh, it, it will see if, if, if I can find a, a good uh, tight head and I don't have to play tight head, that, that would be fun and probably will play another couple of years. Looking at where Uruguay is right now, you know, how, how are they feeling heading into this ARC competition? Do you think that they're they're going to have a good championship? I think so. Yeah, I think uh, they're going to have a good championship. USA game, which is going to be in US soil, so that that will probably be the toughest one. Uh, and obviously Argentina 15, which uh, they always have a, a good team. I'm just guessing this year the best players are going to be saved for Los Puma squad. So. It's just just a little guess that they will have maybe a uh, uh, a team with a lower level. Now that I've said this, they will gonna probably beat everybody by fifty points. But uh, <laughs> uh, I guess uh, I I'm sure they're gonna have a, a really good championship. They are they're training a lot. I really know that, and I hope the best for them definitely. Is there any uh, young players or players that we may not know so much about that you think are particularly you know in a good spot or ready to break through? I think uh, one of Austin de la Corte, which is uh, outside center, inside center. I think he's from my club. He has played not that much, but if they give them the opportunity, he could really get himself in the in the squad. And then I think you named it. I think uh, Pujadas is also has a really good uh, technique, and he could play everywhere. Just he needs to get a little more, uh, a little better physically, and he's a good player. So looking at now to the World Cup, they qualified this time pretty easily. You you don't want to talk about that games, right? <laughs> I really I really don't. I was uh, I remember watching that actually very late at night, and uh, I wasn't massively surprised. Um, they were very good going into that game. I mean, they played really well. It made a lot of progress, as you say. Canada's 
was not at a good level. They had a really bad year, so no momentum. I'm I'm just excited to see uh, you know the the development in Uruguayan rugby to have that competition. Like you say, I think the Americas Rugby Championship has really improved the quality of the Americas as a whole. So it's a, it's been a great competition. You know, there's also this thing where they're talking about this world league. What do you think of that with regards to the tier two levels? Is this a good thing for for the tier two countries? It seems almost like the tier one teams are blocking everybody off if they do this. Uh, I, I really haven't read a lot of about it, but um, there's two ways to to see it. Uh, one is that tier two nations need a lot of competition. That's the only way to help them improve, and uh, they need to compete against the best ones. Just like Georgia says that he they want to they want to enter six nations because they they know they can beat one or two of the of the other teams or so maybe they could make a really uh, hard game for them. But there's gonna have to be a some kind of relegation uh, for teams to be like motivated to play and, and and try to go into that level. Otherwise, it's gonna be a super elite of team of nations that are going to be the growth rate is going to be every year higher uh, bigger than the the growth rate of the of the tier two nations and that will split the game forever and that's probably not, not a thing that you want to do i think every now and then you have to test yourself against better teams and and risk those big losses otherwise you can't grow as a yeah. team right so that's like just like the status against los jaguares last week i mean it was a it was a sweep Jaguares was well, there was only one team in that in in that field after 20 25 minutes, but it gives Los Cerros a lot of points to work and a lot of things to really realize where they they are standing and against uh, what kind of those teams are they gonna play. So it gives you perspective and uh, it gives you a lot of uh, will to go back and, and work more. All right. Thank you very much, Carlos. I really appreciate this. Uh, We've gone quite a long time, but it's been a a great conversation. Uh, I hope to get you on here again someday if I keep doing these. (laughs) So so, uh, Uh, thanks again. Enjoy the sunshine down in in Uruguay. We're stuck up here in the snow in Canada. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure for me to keep doing it. We will keep listening. Carlos Artabalesia, former captain of Los Terros, and who knows, maybe he'll get the call for Rugby World Cup 2019. He's really not that old. He looked in pretty good shape in the sevens. <laughs> uh, so big thanks to him. You can find Carlos on Twitter at CM Artabalesia. I'll spell that out, A-R-B-O-L-E-Y-A. And of course, I hope to get more South American guests in the future, especially with the new professional competition on the way, potentially early next year. Fingers crossed, although it'll be a lot more work. So we'll see. I do have one more guest today. ARN's own Paul Tate is back. He was a little under the weather and and still pretty busy down in Brazil, but he was able to join me for just a few minutes to talk about the ARC and this weekend's Super Rugby opener for Los Aguares. All right, Paul, we're through the first two weekends of the America's Rugby Championship. Just looking at this past weekend, the first game on Friday night, Uruguay versus Chile. Big improvement from Chile over the first round. Uh, Surprised at all by that result? Uh, Yes, I was surprised that Chile completed as well as they did. I thought they were very combative in the in the forwards. Uh, I could probably nominate Ignacio Silva as their standout performer. He, He gave... Uruguay, all kinds of problems. They just weren't the, their usual selves. Very different performance from them. They also didn't have the same kind of uh, service from scrum half, which was highly notable, I, I thought. 
the Chileans were able to, to really, really uh, pressure them and play some pretty good rugby. Unfortunately, that they don't have the overall standards that another team would have had to, to probably have, have really given them a genuine fright uh, in that performance, I thought. But, uh, I mean, Uruguay can only be happy because they, they were far from at their best and they were missing players to Europe and to Major League Rugby. So even doing that and still getting a win by 15, which is above the 14 threshold, which is important for world rankings points. So from their perspective, it's probably a pass mark. Hopefully, Chile can, can really build from this and uh, find a way of, of giving their players the rest which they need and uh, doing better in the next stage of the tournament compared to in the, the prior years. So now Uruguay's got to go and they've got to play uh, Argentina next, uh, after not this coming weekend, but the weekend after, of course, we're coming up to this first ever rest weekend. Um, so they got to play Argentina and then the USA, and then they'll finish up with Brazil. But it looks like they're going to have to do those uh, without some of their most experienced players, uh, Diego Magno, Matteo Sanguinetti, uh, Alejandro Nieto, all these guys heading off to, of course, the, the Toronto pair as well, heading off to Major League Rugby now. So you know, this is kind of a chance to to test themselves, I guess, with with some different players ahead of the World Cup. You know, uh, are we expecting them to to get a result against? I guess Brazil would be the one that they'd be targeting now. Yeah, and uh, I, I I think it's basically going to be the Uruguay fifteen kind of team we saw last year. That's basically what to expect now. Looks like they're they're going to be very much just. Uh, Uruguay centric this time around. The game against Brazil could be very interesting because, of course, Chile got a win over the Uruguay 15 last year, and uh, Brazil are uh, a team causing massive problems for a lot of countries. That the scrum of theirs is just fantastic, and uh, if they can can really build on their performance against Canada, then then uh, the the goal of fourth place finish, <clears throat> which they set themselves, will realistically be realized if not higher so it's going to be really good to see see how this unfolds and uh, this bye weekend should actually benefit brazil tremendously because this front row that they have they're not small men and uh, asking them to play week in week out in a tournament such as this is extremely demanding it's similar in many ways to have to uh, you know one of the ferocious Samoan scrums from from years gone by when those guys were able to, to to play two or three matches back to back in, in World Cups in the old format, many didn't see what what was coming, and this is the same kind of shock which we've seen uh, countries face so far. And uh, so having a buy round for them is just going to be tremendous. And speaking on that result, Canada versus Brazil, eighteen to ten, the final. Brazil getting the win again. You know, I don't think uh, a lot of people seem strangely surprised by this, but I don't think it's really a surprise to us at all. Certainly, I really thought there was a strong chance of Brazil winning, and, and certainly the manner, maybe the the ease of of the victory, maybe is a surprise. You know, uh, Reeves kicked six penalty goals; he had a couple more shots than he missed. I mean, they really dominated the game. Canada had very little to show for after the first ten minutes of the game when they scored all of their points. But the other thing is, I think people are underestimating Brazil. Everybody's kind of pigeonholing them and saying, you know, this is a 10-man rugby team. Well, that's how they won, but we've seen them in the past. How they beat the USA in uh, in 2016 was was running rugby, and the last time they beat Canada, the same thing, running rugby at try scored at the end. So I think people are, are, aren't giving them enough credit right now. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And even if it is 10-man rugby, I mean, I don't see that as being a, a negative. I mean, 
one of the feature matches in the last World Cup was Georgia against Tonga. And uh, I mean, the blueprint that Georgia established in that match is not all that different to, to Brazil playing against the Canadians. So, I mean, they, they're doing what they need to do to get the results. And uh, that's exactly what anyone should realistically do. You, you, you've got a goal, which is to win. And you've got the, the means of doing so. You're going to have to establish your own game plan uh, to get that done. I mean, we, we all know what happens if you, if you don't go down that route. Just look at what's happened to France at the moment, for instance. I mean, France just having all that the, the depth that they do, but players are just a mess. They don't know what they're, they're supposed to be playing. The players have openly admitted they weren't sure they're supposed to stand on the field, things like that. Brazil, no, it's entirely different. They know what they're doing. It's a game plan which is functioning well. Canadian mistakes, whether they were penalties or knock-ons, were severely punished. And uh, often uh, this this came in either to kick a goal or, or just a territory advantage. And uh, when you're playing a game like that, and at the start, as Brazil were, they were playing catch-up once they got ahead. They, they did play the percentages brilliantly and got the job done. So uh, I, I don't don't see the, the style of play really is, is factoring in here. It's about winning, and they did that. Argentina 15, 45 to 14 wins over the USA. This one is a surprise to me, but it, just in the the manner of the victory. I actually I think we both expected the USA actually to win this. Um, and it was just... they. Uh, you know, people are pointing at the red card, but it was 21 nothing before the red card even happened. I don't even think it, that card had much of an effect on the rest of the game, personally. You know, I thought the USA kind of recovered well from that, all things considered. But, I mean, this game was, was done and dusted already. Oh, absolutely. And uh, there were members of the Argentine media in contact with me to clarify things pre-match. In the days ahead, though, they, they were of the view that... that uh, the United States were favorites to win. Now we're basically confirming how many of these Eagles players are, are going to be playing against uh, Los Pumas in the World Cup. And, you know, I, I ran through my uh, projected uh, team as we've put on America's Rugby News together. And and I said, look, of, of them, there's going to be 10 of them starting against Argentina 15 this weekend. And so based on that and based on past uh, results and performances in Argentine selections and so forth, they are very much the team that should be favorites to win. So to uh, to see that Argentina 15 victory, it's going to require a very good performance. And there's, there's, there's no way you can go into this match presuming anything else. And so 21-0 up prior to the red card. Yeah, uh, I don't think the red card changed anything. Uh, I think... Uh, Anytime a team is down by a score like, like that, if you're able to reverse it, you're doing a tremendous job. And it just didn't seem like much was going right for the Eagles, unfortunately. They had probably outplayed, and in, in, I would suggest, at least 13 of the 15 starting players. The, the back three was just uh, appalling defense. Uh, Santiago Carreras really exploited them, as did Julian Dominguez, and the weapons which... The, uh, for example, Brazilians had against Argentina 15 were, were not the same. The scrum was not as good, and Argentina 15 is also developed. And, and they just played smart. I mean, uh, the Eagles really, I don't think they were they were up to the same standards as, as we have come to expect. And that's just credit to the Eagles because uh, they really have been the form team throughout the, the what is now four-year history of the tournament. 
two different trajectories now. The USA has pretty much said goodbye to the title with that result. They've got Brazil, they've got Uruguay, and they've got Canada last. Uh, you know, for them, maybe a chance to run out a couple more players that uh, they haven't looked out ahead of the World Cup. Argentina, 15, well, it's about wrapping up uh, the title. And, and, and as you said, the, the Grand Slam, you know, really the only obstacle looking at this, uh, depleted Uruguay probably not going to stand a chance in Buenos Aires. Canada in Langford, I mean, I, you know, I can't really see that. Is it is it safe to call this one for Argentina 15 now? I think so. I would say that Argentina 15 have got their, their two prospective losses out of the way based on pre-tournament. Anyway, I, I think the, the one obstacle in their way will be the Langford match. Probably going to be pretty cold there, of course, though. So, I mean, that's gonna, going to favor Argentina 15 in terms of style. Perhaps because, uh, as Brazil showed against Canada, they've got some some issues in their front row. Even though some of those players involved were, were elite level performers, I mean, some guys involved from from professional competitions, and they were still taken to the sword. So Argentina 15 looks to me like they've got this pretty much in the bag. Uh, interesting to see though uh, who, who finishes in which positions. Basically, I mean, as it stands, Canada is, is fifth. They will be looking to definitely do better. And uh, they're going to have uh, the opportunity to do so. Certainly uh, against Chile, that should be a, a bonus point win, I would suspect. So that's going to be uh, the next round. And that same weekend, we're going to have United States-Brazil. So if the United States get a win there, then we could see a very different-looking table heading into the final two rounds. And that's going to be really interesting to watch. Wondering, though, if Chile can get a competition point or not. They're, they're still on zero. It's hard to to really see this. I, I, perhaps their best opportunity would be their away match against Brazil. But, I mean, that's going to be really big ask, and it's going to be following their trip to Canada. So, I mean, if they have some smart player management there, we might actually see uh, their, their top side for one of those two games and, and a uh, rotated side for the other. For me, I guess the interesting game will be the Uruguay-Brazil game in Montevideo to end the, the competition. But, you know, looking at it now... Two weeks done, and we're already projecting the winner. You know, part of the issue of, of the ARC as it stands is the timing of the tournament, where the teams can't really get their, their best players out on the field. You know, USA has done pretty well to do that for a couple rounds, but uh, in general, they won't have everybody around for the whole thing. The good news is, uh, from a player acquisition standpoint, is the tournament is set to move. It looks like it's going to be August, uh, September as of next year. Is that good timing, do you think? Oh, definitely. It'll allow for uh, Major League Rugby and Liga Americana to, to really be the spotlight while they're being played. And it should also be at a time in which it is far more friendly for the European clubs. Moving it to August would be tremendous for all involved. I think I think we could therefore conclude pretty pretty much that we would be able to see all the players involved. So if you're looking at the United States, you'd expect to see Blaine Scully, no problems being released, for example, from the Cardiff Blows. And you could probably apply this across across virtually all of them. And yeah, even with the timing, you know, uh, you could see a couple more Super Rugby players even added to the Argentina 15. So the tournament as a whole, I think, will benefit from this move. But uh, speaking of which, Super Rugby firing up this weekend, opening weekend, Aguares versus the Lions. Uh, we're just going to see the Aguares lineup. You know, I guess the talk, two positions in particular, loose head prop and, and on the flank for this one. So uh, Marcus Kram is he's fit, but only recently. So... Good opportunity for Rodrigo Bruni. 
Michael Vives is similar in that we had a surprise name in the Argentina 15, which was Santiago Garcia Bota, who was the starting Moser for Jaguares last year, of course, and, and for Argentina for a lot of the year. So he's actually been linked alongside Martin Landajo to Harlequins in the English Premiership. So this might be the real reason for his uh, non-involvement for Jaguares and being, let's say, demoted to the Argentina 15. But Vivas, having said that, is really a, a tremendous player and uh, has the potential. Uh, unfortunately, Argentina's had probably four years of, of just zero development in terms of loose head props. Anyway, tied head props, they've been potentially some, but just going from the old, uh, I mean, we had Marco Saigersa, and from that, nobody to fill that void, literally. Jaguares have got some pretty handy tight heads. We just need to fix the scrum. <laughs> and uh, they are they are actually, you know, doing their best in that regards because we've seen uh, the bringing in of scrum coach from France. We've seen officially the, the UAR have opened a new position which, which is responsible for the scrum. So nationally, they're admitting that the scrum is an absolute crisis. They're trying to, to repair that permanently. Uh, I think Medrano and Vivas are, are both very young and talented props and uh, them starting Super Rugby is tremendous and they're going to be surrounded by many well-established players so it's going to be looking forward to seeing how they perform. So looking at the season as a whole, what do you think? Are the Jaguars going to make the playoffs this year? Uh, we're going to see lots of uh, weakened sides here and there, probably specifically for touring and that's going to be true for Jaguars as, as much as it is for anybody else. So I do expect to see many uh, Players getting opportunity. Uh, I also expect to see a range of results, but uh, I think Argentina's uh, side will will have the goods to be able to repeat last year's performance. Realistically, the, the only player that they've lost and, uh, is, I mean, there have been more, but it's Nicolas Sanchez is the, the one everyone talks about. But I mean, they have players on the roster who have been around for a long time but have been held back uh, for basically the, the reasons of, of the established top one or two players per position and held them down. It's not going to be like that so much this year. And uh, the, the Rugby World Cup will take priority. And Ledesma has said that, so has Casada. And uh, before I let you go, uh, speaking of the World Cup, uh, Mr. Ledesma off to France this weekend to speak to some potential Pumas. Uh, who's he going to talk to there? Well, it's going to be Ramiro Herrera, Juanino, Facundoisa, and Nicolas Sanchez. And uh, naturally... People are, are happy about that, but they're also like, hang on, what about the others? Because there are others, of course. We've seen others playing under Ledesma, and uh, there are others who have been extremely impressive performances who deserve their opportunity as well. So, I mean, Benjamin Urdpichetta, for example. Uh, people have asked, hold on, why? Surely he's going to be in, involved in this too. Or people asking, why not UK as well? Is he going, going to go over there too? Presumably, yes. I don't see why all players will not be considered. Uh, I think they will be. But those four names he did mention are projected to be definitely uh, involved in the, in the 23 for the World Cup pool matches. And of them, got Issa, who hasn't played it, uh, for Argentina since he moved to France, and Imhoff, who hasn't even played since the, the last World Cup. And those two, for most people, including myself, will be starting in the World Cup. So getting them involved is tremendous, but we've got to add Garlasa, for example. I mean, 
He played last year, so surely he's going to be involved. Gradero in England is the full winger of all wingers in the Premiership. So a little more more guys that they will surely have their opportunities. Exciting times indeed. Nice to see them finally back in the equation, particularly Imhoff and, and Isa, as you say. Well, we've had a big year already, and we're just a few weeks in and uh, still a big year ahead. So I'll let you go. Enjoy the uh, the weekend and the opening of uh, Super Rugby. Absolutely. It should be good, and it's going to be great to play in Buenos Aires to open the tournament at last. That was Paul Tate, of course, of America's Rugby News. You can find him on Twitter at Argentina underscore 2027. And Paul always has the latest South American news and rumors on that account. So if you aren't already, I would advise giving him a follow. That's it for me. I'm Brian Ray. You can find me on Twitter at Ray's Rugby. I hope you found all that conversation as informative as I did. Uh, No ARC this weekend, but Super Rugby is back. And there are four Major League Rugby games to watch. So it's really not much of a weekend off. Back with you soon. From all of us at ARN... Enjoy your rugby weekend.